And welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's only fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. We're brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport, featuring the Try for 50 promotion. You get an in-person 30-minute consultation, a personalized four-week triathlon training program, and weekly email consultations with a TriJoy coach for just $50. See our link on the FitSpeak homepage. That's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. And we're also brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mountain Shop. You're listening in our program for the Wenting's Word of the Week. You hear the word, you tell it to Bruce, Dylan, or Leah at Wenting's, and you get a prize. It's just that simple. Today on the program, our final segment of Bob's Bits. Bob will be doing some crystal balling as we look into the future of the sport of triathlon. We'll find out what else is happening in our valley in the upcoming event schedule. We'll also be introducing you to a new voice here on Fitspeak. Chloe Null, she'll be dropping by for her race report and her comments. Before we get into some other things, it's time to look back at some of the racing action, in particular the Cultus Lake Triathlon, and here is Zach Neufeld. A few weeks ago, Dynamic Race Events put on the June Cultus Lake Triathlon, including a sprint and Olympic triathlon. We had some fantastic finish times, and here are the results. Starting off, these are the women's overall sprint winners. First place is Maud Itcher in 1 hour and 15 minutes, followed by Ashley Armstrong in 1 hour and 16 minutes, and the third place finished by Amelia Power in 1 hour and 17 minutes. The men's winner are as follows. First place is Brody Marshall in 1 hour and 1 minute, followed by Kirsten LaPont in 1 hour and 1 minute as well. Note that that's 28 seconds instead of 21 seconds. Um, and in third place on the podium, we have Thomas Watson in what time of 1 hour and 2 minutes. Moving on to the female age group categories, ages 20 to 24, we have Sandra Thies in 1 hour and 21 minutes. Second place was claimed by Kenzie McDonald in 1 hour and 27 minutes followed by a third place finish by Celine Dampsey in 1 hour and 32. In the female 25 to 29 age group category is Sarah Miller, claiming first place in time of 1 hour and 21 minutes. Second place was Sarah Harriet in 1 hour and 33 minutes. Lauren Watkins took third place in 1 hour and 33 as well, one second behind. Maude Itcher took, uh, was first in her age group as well in the 30 to 34 category one hour and 15 minutes again uh, Amelia Power was second place in an hour and 17 minutes followed by three minutes back in third place Amy Rempel one hour and 21 minutes in the female 35 to 39 category Ashley Armstrong was first place in one hour and 16 minutes Jesse Bowman was second place in one hour and 27 minutes followed by our very own ATC member Mylene Normandine in 1 hour and 29 minutes. Female 40 to 44 age group category had a first place finish by Jennifer Derbshire in 1 hour and 23 minutes. Followed by second place again another ATC member. You'll see a lot of these here. Erica Thompson 1 hour and 24 minutes. Somer Cunningham finished in third place in 1 hour and 32 minutes. In the female 45 to 49 category, first place was Liz Chamberlain in 1 hour and 19 minutes, followed by second, Sylvia Savage, 1 hour and 30 minutes. 
Third place was Vivian Bertrand in one hour and 30 minutes. Uh, that was one second behind, by the way. Fawn Vetkus took first place in the women's 50-54 to 54 category, one hour and 24 minute finish. Uh, Carolyn Hubbard took second in one hour and 26 minutes, followed by uh, Victoria Fitchett here at 135. In the female 55 to 59 category, Kathy McConaughey took one uh, took first place at one hour and 28 minutes, followed by a second place finish by Karen Anna Atkinson in one hour and 38 minutes. Third place was Jocelyn LeBlanc in one hour and 42 minutes. In the female 60 to 64, Deborah Clark took first place in one hour and 36 minutes. Uh, Marilyn Hearn, 65 and up took first place in one hour and 51 minutes. Let's take a look at the men's sprint triathlon times here. Uh, the men in the age group 16 to 19, we have first place taken by Brody Marshall in a time of one hour and one minute. Staggering time there. Followed by second place, Emil Hegovic bake in one hour and 11 minutes. Aiden Schneider took third place in one hour and 35 minutes. In the men's 20 to 24, we have Karsten Lapointe at one hour and one minute. In the men's 25 to 29, we have first place Thomas Watson in time of one hour and two minutes and 59 seconds. Alec Watson took second in one hour and six minutes, followed by Mark Townsend in third place, one hour and 21 minutes. In the men's 30 to 34 age group category, first place was Padriac Pides. In one hour and 10 minutes, followed by second place, Winston Gao, one hour and 13 minutes. Rob Stevens took a third place finish close behind him in one hour and 14 minutes. The 35 to 39 male age group category, Stan Lorenzo took first in one hour and seven minutes. Steve McLean, McLean took one second in one hour and 15 minutes, followed by Christopher Enns, one hour and 19, 19 minutes. In the men's 40 to 44 age group category, Oscar Peralta had a finishing time of 1 hour and 13 minutes. Second place was Sean Weens in a time of 1 hour and 23 minutes. Uh, 23? I guess I got that right. Uh, Dean Houston finished in third in a time of 1 hour and 27 minutes. Dave Chamberlain uh, finished first in the 45 to 49 age group category in a time of 1 hour and 12 minutes. Cameron Greerston finished in one hour and 17 minutes, claiming second place, and Marcus Dahl finished in third, one hour and 20 minutes. Our very own, again, ATC member David Urquhart was first in the 50 to 54 category, one hour and 25 minute finish, followed by a close second, uh, Mike Palmer, one hour and 34 minutes. Maybe not so close. Uh, Kevin McDermott finished third in one hour and 54 minutes. Moving on to the men's 54, 55 sorry, to 59 age group category, we have Stephen Marshall t claiming first place in an hour and 11 minutes. Second place was Rick Tkak in one hour and 19 minutes, followed by third, Bill Converse in 123. The men's 60 to 64, we have Bill Mollard in one hour and 31 minutes. Men 65 plus, we have a few people here. Charlie Bruce finished in first, one hour and 26 minutes. Not too bad. 
Malfinch finished third, uh, second, sorry, in one hour and 33 minutes, and Ralph Zabarski finished in one hour and 50 minutes. Transitioning into the Olympic distance race results, here are the women's top finishers. Claiming gold in two hours and 18 minutes and two seconds is Michelle Hannigan, followed, it was a close, close second here, two hours, 18 minutes and 53 seconds, 50 seconds back. Third place was Angela Froze in 2 hours and 21 minutes. In the men's overall, we have Dylan Gleason finishing in 1 hour 57 minutes, claiming him gold. In second place, Sebastian Monroe finished only a couple minutes behind in 1 hour 58 minutes, 59 seconds. Was actually 2 minutes there. Um, and again, about a minute back, third place was taken by Anthony Toff. Moving on to the age group categories, uh, finishers, female and the female age group categories, we have 20 to 24 years old Chloe Null, our very own Abbotsford Triathlon Club member, finishing in 2 hours and 55 minutes. Way to go. In the female 25 to 29, gold was claimed by Victoria Gilbert in 2 hours and 18 minutes. Second place was Jessica Gorgeous. What a wonderful name. Two hours and 28 minutes there. Third place was Brittany Dunbar in two hours and 28 minutes. Michelle Hannigan won first place in a time of two hours and 18 minutes in the female 30 to 34 age group category. Karen Forsman finished second in two hours and 23, followed by Lindsay Knezovic. No, it's Knezovic in two hours and 37 minutes. Renee Agnew was first in the 53 to 39 age group category with a time of 2 hours and 28 minutes, finishing under 2.30. Cecilia Escobar finished in 2 hours and 32 minutes, followed by Bronze Brooke Brooks in 2 hours and 54 minutes. Age group 40 to 44 for the women, we have Angela Froze finishing in 2 hours and 21 Second place was Anna Mackey in 2 hours and 28, followed by Claire Moeller in 2 hours and 43 minutes. Leanne Vanderlindy won first place in the 54 to 59 category with a time of 2 hours and 35. Moving on to the 54 women's category, uh, Nancy Heimbecker finished in 2 hours and 40 minutes, followed by Silver Michelle Davey, 3 hours and 2 minutes. And third was Raiden Fuge. 3 hours and 32 minutes. Getting a little older here in the females, 55 to 59. Michelle Chang won 3 hours and 20 minutes. Sorry, Chang, I didn't mean to say it that way. <laughs> uh, Brownland Mason uh, I we just is here. I don't have a finishing time. <laughs> uh, moving on to the men's here. We have the men's, again, Olympic distance um, age group finishers. And I'm going to start off here with the men's 20 to 24. Myself, Zach Newfeld, winning first place out of 14. What a good job. Yeah. Two hours and 17 minutes. Sub 220, that's big time. Sub 220. Uh, I guess I got to move on from myself here. Second, Samuel Gerzette won in two hours and 37 minutes, followed by Bronze, Greason Lonsbury in three hours and seven minutes. In the men's 25 to 29, Sebastian Monroe, that sounds like an elite name, in one hour and 58 minutes. Uh, second place was Keizun Tamura in two hours and 19 minutes, followed by Matt Luongo, two hours and 24 minutes. whole bunch of pros in this category. Uh, Dylan Gleason 
finished first in 1 hour and 57, followed by Scott Van Dermal claiming bronze, I mean, sorry, silver in 2 hours and 11 minutes. Grant Ewart finished in 2 hours and 13, claiming third. In the men's 35 to 39 category, Anthony Toth with a stellar time of 1 hour and 59 minutes. Close second here is Robert Johnson with a time of 2 hours and 1 minute, followed by Nathan Valdehone in 2 hours and 10 minutes. In the men's 40 to 44, Martin Caron finished in 2 hours and 5 minutes, followed by Kevin Pickard in 2 hours and 8 minutes, and bronze was stolen by Garth Cumming in 2 hours and 9 minutes. Um, our very own ATC ambassador in Vancouver, Greg Ambrosi, won first place with a time of 2 hours and 16 minutes in the 45 to 49 men's category. Uh, Russ Esau took second in 2 hours and 21, followed by Vince DeMano, another ATC guy, in 2 hours and 29 minutes. Great job, man. Adam Weir won first, I mean, gold in men's 50 to 55, 2 hours and 25 minutes. Followed by Kevin Heinz. I wonder who that is in 2 hours and 33 minutes. Uh, Peter Van Dyke finished third in 2 hours and 48. Moving on to the men's 55 to 59, we have Brad Lamaru in 2 hours and 25 minutes. Bill Newman close behind him in 2 hours and 26, followed by Keith Kendall, 2 hours and 32. Moving on to the men's 60 to 64, the man, the myth, the legend, Mikey Ross finished in a legendary time of 2 hours and 15 minutes. Uh, guy kept ahead of me and kept speeding up, so hopefully I'll beat him someday. <laughs> uh, Michelle Corno finished second in 2 hours and 28 minutes. Steve Cooper finished in 2 hours and 41. The men's 65 plus, we have Paul Filippi finishing first in 2 hours and 33 minutes. Man, what a time. We had wonderful weather out at the Cultus Lake Triathlon a few weeks ago, and we just want to thank you, Joe and Ange, for putting on a great race, uh, for all the pizza afterwards, and for tasty race prizes. Commit! It's been a while since we caught up with our co-host, Kevin Watt. Kevin, what have you got for us this time? Well, Kevin, uh, it's been a busy summer. Uh, we've been busy volunteering and running around and doing interviews. Uh, one of the other things I was involved in this uh, this summer was the Positive Spin Cycle, a ride to promote mental health awareness. And that was on June 24th, and we held that out in the Fraser Valley. We had roughly 60 riders. We had two different distances. We had the 100-kilometer distance and the 200-kilometer distance. Um, I volunteered for ride leader ambassador uh, for the 100 kilometer group of riders extremely hot out that day uh, big thank you to f2c nutrition for being out there uh, huge huge uh, huge support for a ride like this and uh, especially it being so hot out um, successful event uh, looking forward to volunteering again and helping to organize that ride. Uh, Crystal Lambert spearheaded that entire ride. Uh, I wanted to thank her for her leadership and her organization skills. She's now taking a break and uh, we definitely don't blame her for that one. I'd like to uh, thank the sponsors for that event as well. 
Uh, they were huge. Um, they made 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 holding and hosting an event uh, so much easier with their support. Uh, big shout out to Old Yale Brewing out in Chilliwack, uh, Oldham Brown Investment Firm, Simpson Strong Tie, and of course F2C Nutrition for their on-course hydration. I'd also like to thank the volunteers. Without the volunteers, this wouldn't have been possible. And of course, Katia from iPopoPhoto. If you're not aware of iPopoPhoto, they are a new sh- photo sharing app where you can upload your photos and sell them online. They're based out of Fort Langley. We wanted to thank them for making a contribution to the Positive Spin Cycle Ride. And of course, a big thank you to Crystal Lambert for organizing this, putting it all together, and leading our motley little crew of cycling crazies out in the heat on June 20. Saturday, July 8th was the Ladner Criterium, part of the BC Super Week extravaganza. One of our local up-and-coming Fraser Valley Cycling Clubs is United Velo. Daryl Shriver represented United Velo very, very well at Super Week, taking first place in the men's Cat 3-4 division. And of course, we can't forget Jerome Riken racing for United Velo, taking second place right behind Jeffrey Warner over at the Poco Grand Prix. And of course, Fitspeak fans, we can't forget Elle Bush. You may remember her from a previous podcast just recently. Elle had a fantastic week sweeping the BC Super Week this year with wins at the New West Grand Prix, Giro de Burnaby, Poco Grand Prix, and of course the Tour de Delta. Great job, Elle. And honorable mentions to the boys over at North Coast Lumber, Giant White Rock. Uh, congratulations on your performance at Super Week. There are big things in these boys' future and their race team. And especially thank you very much for all your Instagram tags. Big news, Fitspeak Instagram followers. We just hit 2,000 followers last week. Shoutouts to the boys out of Brooklyn, New York, Super 6 Freak and OG Jace 48 Freak Freak. Another big congratulations to Pamela's Kitchen. I believe she's out of Port Coquitlam. She's just completed her, get this, 20th marathon. And a final shout out goes out to Cow Valley Biker and Doug Coates. They're both from Vancouver Island. We thank you for tagging us. And for the rest of you, don't forget to hit us up on Facebook and Instagram. I've been living and working here in the Fraser Valley since August of 2002. One of the things that drew my wife and I to the area was we could play golf and cycle pretty much year-round. And for the first four years here, we really did. We went to Wentings and bought the fenders for the bikes. We bought the rain gear and the booties and the gloves. We got used to cleaning our chains after every ride. But after a few more years, we got soft. We became, as my wife likes to say, West Coast wimps in essence. Fair weather riders for the months of the dark season, which we know are November through till February. This year, with that unusually yucky spring, meant that we probably didn't get onto the roads until March. Yes, that rugged Albertan chick and Saskatchewan guy were no tougher than any of the locals. 
On the other end of the scale, we have icons of the bike here in the Fraser Valley, especially in the Wanak and Ruskin areas. Rumor has it that once upon a time, Swain Tuft lived in a culvert with a family of badgers on the corner of 272nd and 100. A more believable local story involves the Eggman. He's the guy that every motorist who's traveled between Ruskin and Derosh has seen. That ever-smiling, flower-toting, egg-carrying machine has been plying those roads since dinosaurs were around. And he's still out there. Another one of the characters from the area is our guest today on Fitspeak, Galen Keller. He's a bit of a blend between Tuft and the Eggman. He rides in all sorts of weather, and he's fast. Man, is he ever. Just a couple of weeks ago, under some not-so-favorable conditions, he unleashed a 53-minute, 40-kilometer time trial. Now, to put that into perspective that non-cyclists can relate to, that's about the same as running a 32-minute sun run or swimming a mile in just over 15 minutes. Galen, welcome to FitSpeak. So Galen, what kind of sports did you do growing up as a kid? Uh, When I was little, I played uh, soccer and t-ball a little bit. Um, I couldn't see very well when I was younger. Um, I had an eye condition called keratoconus. Um, So ball sports were were never never all that exciting for me. Never tried Uh, golf? No, (laughs) no, never did golf. Uh, I ended up uh, playing soccer for a little while, and that that was not too bad because uh, you could you could feel feel the ball a lot more. It was a, it was a little less visual, but uh, it never really had a lot of draw for me. And uh, yeah, it wasn't until uh, m- much later that uh, ended up uh, getting my eyes fixed, uh, corrected uh, in high school, and and uh, ended up playing rugby for a few years. And that was how'd that, that go for you? It was a lot of fun. Um, once once I could see and uh, participate in sport, like and understand exactly what people were getting out of it, it it became a lot of fun. And um, and of course, the camaraderie of, of team sports is uh, is uh, quite rewarding. I made some really good friends in uh, in rugby that uh, lasted through into university, and and uh, yeah, that was a really rewarding part of my high school experience for sure. So a guy with a big engine such as yourself, any attempts at uh, cross-country running or track and field? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I did uh, participate in cross-country. Um, it was mostly uh, at the insistence of uh, my gym teachers. Um, That's what they do. <laughs> they were they were really keen on, uh, on on exposing everybody to a variety of different, different sports. And uh, it's only later in life that I realized what they were trying to do and, and trying to give people the opportunities to uh, to find what they were good at, what they enjoyed. And uh, it was, yeah, really valuable. I didn't realize at the time why they were trying to make me do all this stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of, yeah, that was a good 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 part of high school as well. So growing up as a kid, what's uh, your hometown? I, I was born in Quesnel. I uh, spent most of my uh, time growing up in Vancouver uh, while my dad was uh, articling as a lawyer in Vancouver and uh, moved around quite a bit uh, in Vancouver and never really settled in, in one spot too long. And uh, yeah, eventually moved out to Maple Ridge. Uh, so we've lived out in Maple Ridge, East Maple Ridge, for uh, probably 23 years now. So growing up, uh, what kind of role did your mom, your dad, perhaps brothers and sisters have in your early sporting career? Um, 
that's been an interesting one for me to think about uh, over over the years. My my mother did get me involved in in the, the soccer and t-ball. Um, my dad was really against sports. Um, he absolutely hated the idea of, of, of participating in sports, and we butted heads on that issue, uh, especially once I got into cycling. We had many arguments about it. Uh, he considered it a, a complete waste of time. Um, he's a very, very pragmatic uh, man, very money-oriented, and... Uh, and honestly, I can I can see his point from that perspective. Uh, getting involved in cycling wasn't uh, wasn't a very uh, sure thing. I mean, you could make a lot of money if you got to the very top, but uh, there's a very slim chance, like all sports, of of making it to that that really big payoff. So, uh, as far as uh, an investment, it wasn't a very good one uh, money wise. But uh, but yeah, um, it was uh, sort of a difficult part of our relationship and the fact that he didn't he didn't really approve of that and still doesn't really no he he sure doesn't and we don't talk about it anymore yeah. now that now that i live on my own and do my own thing yeah. <laughs> pay your own bills yeah it's... pay my own bills exactly yeah well as long as i've known you and this goes back probably about 12 13 years you've always been on the bike and you've always been fast but you weren't always fast tell us about the early days how you uh got to be the machine that many of us believe that you are well, it's always been, for me, about getting where I want to go. What does uh, that mean? The bicycle has always been my mode of transportation. And I've always wanted to go further. And given the, the time constraints of life, to get further, you got to go faster. <laughs> and so, yeah, what I wanted to explore, and I mean, this goes back to when I was very, very young, even as, as young as like two years old, three years old. I'd take off on my tricycle um, when my dad was in uh, in university and we were living in the student housing. And I'd take off on my on my tricycle and go explore. And looking back now, I probably explored further than many mm -hmm. parents would would allow, and mm -hmm. certainly further than my mom would ever allow if she knew. But <laughs> but yeah, that's how it started. And um, I always wanted to get places. Uh, when I was playing rugby in high school, I wanted to go to the practices, and that was not something my parents wanted to support. So I rode my bike to school so that I could uh, ride home after practice. So it's not like your mom and dad are going to drive you to these things, right? Yeah, they didn't, didn't like that. We, they discussed uh, charging me a taxi fee for, um, for coming to pick me up after practice. And I didn't want to do that. So I rode my bike. Uh, <laughs> Boy, your but, parents were shrewd, weren't they? Yeah, they, uh, they had the, uh, they had it all figured out. That's for sure. But, um, I came from a big family, so there was a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure, uh, for my mom to do things for all of the different kids. So taking, half an hour out of out of her day to come and pick me up was was uh, a bit of a stressful thing especially if there were um young young babies at home for her to take care of and, what and about your brothers and sisters have they gone on to big things in sports such as yourself no i'm i'm the rebel of the family um where I'm, do you sit in the pecking order Are you oldest son uh, oldest oldest son, oldest son. Uh, second oldest overall okay um there's eight of us in total in in the kids um and yeah i'm the only one who's who's ever ever gotten into sports of any kind um have several several involved in art drama music those those kind of things are are much more favorably uh, looked upon in my family okay but, uh, yeah i'm definitely the the uh, the black sheep when it comes to sports participation <laughs> so you did get good yeah uh i've had some success um it's it's been 
uh, kind of hit and miss. Um, I've always had problems with motivation. Um, it's always been my my challenge, but uh, there's certainly life stress that, that comes into into that as well. Um, I've tried to do as as well as I could under under the circumstances. I had a, uh, a sort of a start to my cycling career after my daughter was born so uh there's always the challenge of uh <laughs> balancing uh, the home home life with uh, with young children at home uh, for anyone who's, who has young children uh they know that uh, it's it's difficult to balance the uh, uh the demands of of participating in, in home life and, yeah and the first nine years can be very time consuming and really have a lopsided training schedule but as you know that does change over time yeah and i've always found ways to work work in uh, cycling uh, that's where you know like commuting uh, comes in uh, into play as being a big part of my training um, one of uh, one of the the biggest chunks of training that I ever did when I was mountain biking was um, every day uh, I was working at a, at a shake and shingle mill down in uh, in, in Wanick down in South Maple Ridge and I'd get up around noon and take my daughter uh, out put her in the bike trailer and ride over to my parents' place in Maple Ridge. And then I'd ride down to the mill, work, ride home. And round trip, that was about 70 kilometers, and including Frog Hill, if anyone knows Frog Hill and Mission, with, <laughs> with Willow in the trailer. So, yeah. <laughs> no kidding, really? Yep. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's been, it's always been uh, a, big, a big part of my, my training is incorporating it into, into my life and, uh, and just when I have to commute somewhere, you do it on the bike. And if you go hard, it's good training in, in and of itself. So, yeah. Tell us about any heroes or role models that you may have had uh, in your early years. Did you have anybody? Did you have any posters of Lance Armstrong or Ulrich? And... Uh, no, I, I didn't even become aware of, uh, of cycling until about the... About when uh, Lance Armstrong was just coming uh, coming to his first Tour de France wins, and uh, at that time I was also becoming aware of of the the importance that that uh, the drugs played in in, in that in that sport at the time, and uh, given what I knew about sports performance and and little research that I'd done, I didn't really look up to any of those any of those. Uh, uh, pro athletes in the cycling world at that time and uh, for that matter many other sports like football and, and hockey uh, were, were also <laughs> incorporating that training methodology in, into it as well and so yeah I didn't really have any sports uh, uh, sports heroes I didn't uh, yeah I didn't really look up to anyone like that um, if I did have heroes uh, or people that uh, that I looked up to it was it was generally outside of that. I just think about like human human rights heroes, and you look at. I always think of Gandhi. I always okay. love his uh, his life and his his attitude. Uh, seemed seemed quite different to all the things that I'd been exposed to growing up, and just thinking about the different perspectives on life. That's that's what I've always I've always enjoyed uh, looking at people who who see things differently than me and trying to figure out why is that? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the kind of thing I like, but uh, yeah, yeah. The sport, the sporting heroes that, uh, that were, were prominent when I was, when I was growing up and getting into sport were not the, not generally the type of people I looked up to. So, 
So you started not as a road cyclist, but a mountain cyclist. That's correct. Yeah, um, I began. Uh, I began being aware of cycling as a recreational sport as opposed to just commuting um, with a, ni- a 1992 issue of Popular Science. Oh, tell they us had, about that. Yeah, <laughs> po- in Popular Science, uh, they ran a... Uh, this a, a this two- ain't Sports Illustrated we're talking about. No, they had, uh, they had an article and it was, uh, it was on three different concept bikes. Uh, by a company called Specialized Bikes, who make a lot of bikes. Um, and they had these very futuristic concept bikes that would never make it into production, but I didn't understand that at the time. I just thought they looked amazing. It was 1992, uh, full monocoque carbon fiber frames that looked just absolutely amazing and incorporated some wild technological advancements that I mean, never made it into production, but I thought it was so cool. And that's how, that was my first uh, exposure to the idea of of cycling as recreation. And from there, uh, it just grew steadily over the years. I saved up a bunch of money and uh, a few years later, I bought myself a nice mountain bike. And uh, it was a Kona, it wasn't a Specialized, but (laughs) uh, yeah, and uh, that opened up a, a number of uh, of doors uh, for me. Um, in high school, I all of a sudden was part of the mountain bike clique. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the guys who who uh, were into mountain biking all all of a sudden liked me because oh. I had a nice bike, and <laughs> that's the way high school goes. Yeah. And, uh, but I made made some good friends that way too, and uh, and uh, eventually uh, friends in and out of school uh, got into mountain bike racing. Uh, realized I liked riding uphill more than I liked riding down, and and uh, got into cross country racing, and uh, eventually uh, reached the top of. Uh, the local, the local BC uh, scene. I was racing elite, and uh, yeah, I decided to move on. Um, I, I didn't uh, didn't like uh, my my options uh, going going forward. I didn't think I had had that many options uh, for for advancement beyond uh, um, beyond the local scene. I'm quite a big guy. I'm almost 200 pounds most of the time, and all of the top mountain bikers in in the in the 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 pro ranks in the world are quite small people and to go uphill you got to be smaller and uh then i after that i moved on to the road uh, the, on the on the road you can you can do a lot more as a heavy guy uh you can be a time trialist which i eventually transitioned into and when you're going on a flat road you got to be aerodynamic but it doesn't matter how much you weigh <laughs> for a big for a tall guy you've got great position yeah well you thank know? you yeah um that's been a, a focus of mine for a long time is mm-hmm. achieving that that really aerodynamic position and and practicing it so that I can develop a lot of power in that position because mm-hmm. um, even if you can even if you can get into an aerodynamic tuck uh, you might not be able to produce that much power and so you won't go very fast but uh, you got to practice and practice and practice so when you made that initial transition from being a, a mountain guy to a road guy, what were some of the challenges that you faced? Did you immediately have success or did you find a long time you kind of just had to sit back, learn, pay your dues? There was definitely uh, some, some transition uh, to, to be made. Um, the technique is completely different. Um, cornering on a mountain bike um, 
is a completely different experience. Um, I had to learn how to how to counter steer. Um, <laughs> that was that was uh, where Bruce Wenting came into 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 play. He's a, a fantastic coach, and if anybody wants to learn to corner, he knows exactly how to tell you how to do <laughs> it. And uh, so that uh, being being uh, exposed to uh, some really good coaching uh, out here in the valley was was a big help in uh, in getting into uh, road cycling and making that transition. Um, Bruce went to bat for me a few times uh, uh, with getting category upgrades so that I could race in a in a in a category that was appropriate to my my skill level. Um, he uh, he got me bikes and equipment at decent yeah. prices and he was he's been a, a fantastic support uh, to for me to make that transition and uh, definitely made that a lot smoother so uh, having having those support supporting people around you uh, makes it makes a big difference but there was still a lot to learn um, what do you think maybe was the the breakout performance where you actually proved to yourself that you were pretty good on a road bike Ooh, that's a good question. I think, I think the one, uh, the one that really uh, made made me able to believe that I could make the transition was uh, uh, a few years ago when I raced at uh, one of the Super Week races, uh, UBC, and they had a, a Criterium race uh, for the the lower categories. I was so for the categ- folks who don't know what a Criterium race is, what is that? Uh, it's a short short duration race, usually about an hour long, uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, it's on a short circuit course, usually about a kilometer long, and it's generally high speed, uh, fast corners, risk of crashing, and you've got to you've got to take a lot of risks and uh, and uh, because of the short duration, people can can go at quite a high intensity. Uh, racing in a pack. Um, it's yeah it's it's really exciting uh both to watch and to participate in um and generally speaking uh it's a mass start and everybody races together and the first person across the line in the in the sprint at the end wins okay so tell us more about this big experience that you had that well, kind of proved to yourself what i what i did was uh, uh early on in the race i actually uh made a bit of an attack it wasn't a very strong attack but i was able to get a gap uh, in between uh, me and the people behind me uh, and when i saw that i put a little bit of distance between them i got down into that aerodynamic position and i just went for it and with the cornering techniques that i'd learned uh, working with bruce i was able to extend my lead and uh, was eventually uh, about halfway through the race, uh, joined by another competitor, and we worked together uh, to uh, to lap the lap the field. We actually completed uh, the race the race distance one lap ahead um, by by the end of uh, of the race, and that was enough to tell for me to be able to tell myself that yeah I can I can I can do this like I've, I've actually learned enough that I can I feel I can actually participate in this in, in a real way um, so yeah that was good good experience did you let the other guy win the sprint uh, he ended up uh, confessing to me afterwards that he was cramping up in, in the in the last uh, lap I, I won the sprint I didn't realize that he was uh, he was cramping up uh, towards the end but uh, I, I took the I took the win ahead of him in, in any case yeah <laughs> don't look back. Yeah, you never look, never look never back look in a back. sprint. Yeah. No. One of the problems about dealing with any athletic people is they're very difficult to judge 
by the looks of their face as to how old they are. We've got a room of people where we could, I could pass for a person maybe years less. Kevin Watts and the same. Chloe is absolute proof and will stay that way for the next 50 years. And then we have Galen who's been 30 years old for the past 15 years now. So how old are you really today, Galen? Well, as of today, I, I did work this out in advance in preparation Wait, for this. Do we have? Do are we gonna put this down in in stone? Are we actually going to say a date and a time today? As of <laughs> when? okay, yeah. Well, today is Monday, July seventeenth, twenty seventeen. And as of today, I'm thirty seven. Thirty seven. I always forget because uh, in cycling we calculate our age based on the dog end, years, the end of the year. That's what Sherry's for. Yeah, so at the end of the year, um, we calculate our age. So all year, I'm racing as a 38-year-old, just the way we calculate ages in this sport. So uh, I, for many years, have always uh, stated my age that way. So I'm 38 now. 38. 38. How do you stay motivated? I mean, you, uh, unlike a lot of us cyclists and triathletes, uh, you're one of these guys who cycle all year round. In fact, you have a special season, which you call velodrome season. So what <laughs> what keeps you motivated? What keeps you driven? Because that's high-intensity stuff as well. Yeah, the, the, the velodrome is, is very high-intensity. It's a really short track, 200 meters long. Uh, you're very very infrequently racing at less than 40 kilometers an hour um, most of the races are, are up closer to 50 kilometers an hour average speed and it's tight fast racing uh, really a lot of intensity um, it's 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 very easy to stay motivated when you have uh, a really good environment to, to work in um, that's where uh, the velodrome with its strong community and uh, really exciting race formats um, work in the winter to help keep motivation going and uh, I have a very similar thing out uh, here in Mission. We have uh, racing uh, in, on Wednesdays and a really nice, uh, really nice group of people doing uh, criterium style racing out uh, through the summer. And which club is that? That's Phoenix Velo. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, and because, of, because of those two, two seasons don't have a lot of overlap, but you can, uh, you can transition from one to the other quite, quite readily and, uh, and keep, keep the motivation going all year round. So just a quick question, um, with any of these, uh, techniques that you've mentioned with, uh, changing up your training, even just from like mountain biking to road biking, was there anything that you found like intimidating, like fear wise or are you just one of those people that just like jumps on and you're like I don't care if I like get hurt I'm just gonna do it well I'm the type of person that I'm very very practical uh very uh, very th thinking oriented if that makes any sense <laughs> I, I I will think things through and uh, and uh, plan plan it out and I have a lot of confidence and a lot of body awareness that I've, I've developed over the years um continually doing things and trying things and pushing my limits just a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. Um, so I know exactly gradual where than just like jumping in, like I'm going to do this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'll, I'll, I'll think for a long time. Uh, a perfect example of that. Um, I was out camping years ago and my friends were, were, were cliff diving off this, uh, 10 meter cliff into into the ocean and this was a little bit too much for me and I thought about it 
for most of most of the morning and we were we were hanging out hanging out there up comes the protractor yeah and i <laughs> i calculated the angles I eventually did jump in and i was probably it was probably a little bit later on when the tide had risen and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't quite as far down but uh yeah it takes me it takes me a long time to think about things uh if, it, if it's something really really brand new and really outside of my comfort zone um but i will gradually work on things and and Do think, you think, think that's through them saved you in an event where you could have been injured where you didn't absolutely yeah uh, i used to race downhill uh, before i got into into cross country i did did some uh, some downhill racing as well um and I, I didn't have much success there because I was always cautious. I would I would take the jumps, but I would always uh, be absolutely sure that at the speed that I was going, that I would land and 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 properly execute. Um, very rarely crashed, but I was always I was always too cautious to to really uh, to really make it in a in a, a really a, adrenaline sport like that. Um, but yeah, it's always. It's always been a, a process of pushing my limit just a little bit, a little bit more at a time. Um, Smart. <laughs> it's, 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 it has saved me a, 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 a number of incidents. <laughs> what about, uh, any thoughts on cross racing? Uh, you mean cyclocross? Yeah. Uh, I've done cyclocross racing. Uh, for those people who don't know what uh, cyclocross is, it's uh, another format of cycling among the, the the many that are out there. It's again a short uh, uh, short duration race. Uh, it's uh, again about an hour an hour long typically. Um, it's raced off road on sort of modified road bikes with uh, a little bit fatter tires uh the the uci limit is uh 33 millimeters so um, they're a little bit a little bit bigger than a standard road tire um it is really intense racing uh the way they set up courses for cyclocross uh it's usually on on grassy fields and really tight corners so you know, very very short straightaways you'll accelerate quickly and then stop uh, come to an almost stop going around a corner there'll be deliberate barriers to slow you down and so there's many many accelerations uh during the courses hundreds of accelerations uh, every or during the course of the race so it's it's an interval workout to the extreme and uh, i really like it it's uh, it's a lot of fun again being a bigger guy i have a, a bit of a disadvantage uh, it's a lot of a lot of weight to move around and, and jump over the barriers and run up the hills and and that kind of thing but it's uh, it it is a, a really fun race, just given the intensity and again the community uh, that that comes out to cyclocross races has a really good energy, really high energy. So they even accept triathletes. They proof they definitely <laughs> accept triathletes. Yeah, very very accepting, very welcoming community there. Nathan Killam, yeah, he he goes out. He spends the the off season uh, doing the cross races. Uh, uh, I just bring that up because you're just mentioning triathletes. So mm -hmm. any of the Abbey Tri Club can always come on out during the winter. Oh, we're allowed now. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's like yes. Yeah, on your dry bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Cyclocross racing began uh, in Europe uh, mm -hmm. for uh, road professionals. 
as something for them to to gain high intensity training during their off season. So in the in the shoulder seasons, in the winter, and and sometimes in the spring, uh, they would go out to there to to build their fitness. And given the interval nature uh, uh, of the of the racing, uh, given that it's it, it is off road, so it's quite a bit slower, um, so it's uh, safer and uh, um, and easier to do in, in cold weather. Um, it, it is a really good like uh, cross cross training uh, for 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 different sports. Really good high intensity uh, training to to do in the off season. So Galen, you've done cycle cross. You've mm-hmm. done the track, as in uh, the velodrome. Yeah. Pretty good time trialist, going what fifty three minutes a couple of weeks ago for forty k. Yeah, and also a regular fixture on Wednesday nights over at uh, the Crits. So of all those racing styles, um, which race in particular stands out to you uh, as? perhaps one of your proudest moments, your greatest achievement. It doesn't have to be numero uno, but something you walked away, you know, beating your chest, maybe not to the crowd, but inside and went, damn, that was a good race. Um, I, w- I was thinking that uh, the the time that uh, that I'm probably most proud of um, is it, it also co- coincides with, with one of the times when I really went hundred percent in a race. Um, I very rarely do that. I usually uh, hold back a certain a certain amount of effort in in reserve. But uh, every once in a while, I'll go out in a race and go hundred percent. There's one track race that I did uh, several years ago, um, and it was a it was a a win and out race. Um, so on the track, we have a variety of different race formats, and the win and out race, it starts uh with a with a neutralized start and you'll typically race for about 15 laps and then you'll uh everybody will sprint and the first person across the line wins the race uh and then everyone else keeps going and a few laps later they'll all sprint for second place and every time every time somebody wins a placing they'll remove themselves from the race and everybody else will race for 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 the next next place down the line um we had a crash mid midway through the uh, the the early part before the before the first sprint, and the race was neutralized. We were riding around, and I found myself on the front of of the pack. And the bell rang to restart the race. We all went for it, and I decided I was going to go a hundred percent. I was going to go for go for broke, and I established a bit of a gap. We had five laps to go, so one kilometer, and. That was the hardest kilometer I've ever done. And I eventually got caught. The The pack chased me down. And one absolutely fantastically talented rider named Zach Kowalczyk from, from the U.S. He's national champion from the, state, from the States on the track. And he caught me with inches on the line and just passed me just before, just before the line to take, take first place. And I had given everything I had in that, in that kilometer effort. And I couldn't even stay with the group to, to try for any of the other placings. And so I, I dropped out as well. Um, but that was, that was probably one of my proudest moments just be, just because of the intensity I went for and, and how hard I tried for it. I came up with nothing through, through everything, <laughs> everything, on the, through everything on the table in the, in that gamble on that one effort and came up with nothing. But again, it's probably one of my proudest moments just because of, of what I, what I went for and what I tried for. So let's uh, switch to something maybe a bit less serious. Uh, let's talk about training advice. Tell us 
the worst piece of training advice you ever got? Worst piece of training advice I ever got was uh, was actually from a fellow competitor. Um, Want to drop his name? Uh, well, sure, why not? It's it's Dylan Davies. He's an amazingly talented uh, rider. I race with him on the track. He races on the road. And he knows how to train. I, I, ha I have to say he, he knows how to train, and he's willing to put in the effort to really – uh, maximize his performance and uh, he does all the research and um, he does a really good job of it and ha has gotten him a lot of a lot of success uh, because of that he's quite talented but he also works very hard he gave me a piece of advice one time knowing how much I rode and um, how I commuted to the track before racing and uh, he was right in, in giving me the advice that I should get a car if I got a car I would be able to maximize my training advantage and I wouldn't be beating up my legs commuting all the time and that I got, if I got a car, I would be able to be faster, uh, specifically in, in sprint situations and high intensity efforts because my, my legs wouldn't be beat up from commuting all the time. That didn't work for me because in my case, when I took out the commuting, I just got lazy and <laughs> I, I ended up driving and I lost quite a bit of fitness uh, when, I, when I did get a car because uh, um, Without that, without that commuting motivation, uh, I just rode less, and I ended up getting quite a bit slower. So uh, that was that was a learning experience for me, um, and and probably a learning experience for everyone. Uh, your competitors, as well-meaning as they may <laughs> be, they might not know the best thing for you. It might be a, a really good piece of advice, but it might not be the best thing uh, for you. So I always I always take uh, everything with a grain of salt, and 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 compare it to uh, what you already know about yourself as well. So. So now that we know that you're a cyclist, over here, Chloe, Null, is a triathlete. You're not going to be competing against each other. So could you give some good cycling training advice to Chloe? Yeah, very fresh triathlete as of this year. So, <laughs> Or even just a beginner cyclist because, as I was saying before, I'm a swimmer. Like, I've swam my entire life, and this year I'm just starting as... Uh, learning anything on the bike so something like you'd say to a very beginner what I generally tell everyone when they're beginner is just to relax and take it slow uh, everyone wants to uh, advance really quickly I, I see many novice riders come through and and when they when they want to they want to advance to higher and higher categories they want to get fast quick cycling is something that that takes time and you'll be surprised at how quickly it ends up coming the, the the skills and the fitness will will come fairly quickly but it will seem slow at first and just just relax and learn everything that you can wherever you're at right now um, if you're in a if you're racing in a lower category uh, learn everything that you can before you before you try and move up to a higher category um, and, and try not to, uh, to, to push everything to, to the max. So, yeah, just relax and, and enjoy where you're at because uh, it, you, can, you can burn yourself out way, way too quickly if you, if you try and push it too hard. Mm -hmm. That would be, my, be my, my single, without knowing anything about specifics of, of anyone's training, um, I, I, would, I would definitely say, yeah, relax, take it slow and enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy the process. Exactly. Yeah, Albeit, sure. it's painful. <laughs> was was he on the phone with Killam? Because that's that's pretty much what Nathan said like two months ago. 
correct. I, <laughs> I think it's there's just, a commonality here. Yeah, I, I think it's just words of the wise. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's a it's a state that you're in when you're you're willing to become better and better and better. You're you're just kind of in a different mindset, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I often I often give advice and, and coach novices who are who are just starting out and it's really encouraging especially uh young riders uh, run into a lot of young riders on the track and i always give them that that piece of advice but i sometimes wish i could go back and be that novice <laughs> and make those incredible gains <laughs> every week you're just so much faster and more skilled proof and it, it, it is exciting um once once you uh, get a bit further on and maybe per, have have maximized your performance a little bit more those seconds that you're gaining in a, in a time trial become harder and harder to find uh, your 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 gains stop being minutes and they start being seconds and then yeah <laughs> it's uh it's harder it, it's harder to make those improvements later on um in in some ways it's more rewarding they're they're harder fought battles yeah. but uh it's uh it's something I wish I could go back and, and experience again. Yeah, the whole experience sure. I mean, of being a novice. Each week's a new PR right now. It's great. <laughs> like I'm on this emotional high. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Tell us about one of your favorite rides here in the Fraser Valley. Well, it, given the Fraser Valley includes out to Burnaby, I would have we'll to extend say, it out to Burnaby just for you, Galen. I have to say that within the Fraser Valley, the Burnaby Velodrome is by far my favorite ride. Why? You get on the velodrome, and it's it's like everything that we love about cycling, uh, the experience uh, of riding, and it's all concentrated. It's like, I always describe it as the espresso of, uh, of, the, well of the cycling world. Um, if, you're, if you're used to going out on a ride, you have, you have your drip coffee, and, and you really enjoy that. And then all of a sudden, you get this experience, and it's just so concentrated. Um, everything happens quicker on the track. Uh, it's really exciting. Um, and, uh, yeah. I, I would I would have to say that's my that's my favorite ride. Um, Are you sure? Because there was this time that you loaded your bike up with your trailer and rode. I believe it was to the island to go. What was it? Uh, Commissaire. Oh, a race. Do you yeah, that was about five or six years ago yeah i've done i've done mountain bike timing that sounded like a pretty amazing ride yeah those, those are a lot of fun and and i do like challenging myself um i, I i've always i've always enjoyed that uh, that that aspect of uh of touring uh with a with a bike and just seeing how far i can go um definitely definitely enjoyed that that one trip that was up to mount washington and <laughs> that's where it was yep. how many kilometers was that that was oh was that was least... a 12 hour ride at one least, way, at, at least a couple hundred, yeah. Yeah, um, one way trip, one way. Oh yeah, it's. I don't think it's that quite that far. But I think uh, this was before Facebook too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it probably was. <laughs> I think <yeah>. it was. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I have, I have enjoyed the, the many different aspects of, of my involvement in cycling. Uh, I do photo finish. Uh, I've done mountain bike timing. I've organized races and. Everything provides a different challenge, and uh, it, it's it's all been pretty rewarding. You just completed the positive spin two hundred kilometer ride as well. Yeah, three weekends ago. Yeah, we did. We did. That uh, was hot. 
It was, was very hot. It was like 36 degrees up by Chilliwack Lake. Did Crystal say you could come back next year? Uh, I haven't heard from Crystal <laughs> to see if she's uh, will, willing to do it again. Uh, I, I usually when I usually give people uh, a, a bit of a break before you ask them to commit to organizing a race again the next year. Uh, after all of the work that she put in and the in incredible hours of, of coordination uh, with all the different uh, municipal uh, organizations and sponsors and and all the logistics of putting that ride together, um, I, I'll probably give her a few more weeks before. Before I uh, start pressuring her to uh, to start organizing next year's and, and Crystal, if you're listening, I don't bite. <laughs> she's she's been a bit slow to respond. <laughs> uh, one final question: It's a hot summer day, middle of uh, July. What's one of your favorite beverages for the summertime? Well, I got to give a shout out to uh, the Mission Springs. Uh, they have come up with the the perfect summertime beverage for those of uh, those of us who are uh, of legal drinking age. Uh, it's uh, Trail Blazer Pilsner. Um, they developed that with uh, <laughs> they developed that with. Uh, uh, in conjunction with the, mount, uh, the mountain bike organization, uh, the Fraser Valley Mountain Bike Association, uh, out in the valley here, and they actually uh, kick back some of the proceeds to go toward trail maintenance and uh, the various programs that the uh, uh, the FEMBA uh, supports here in the valley. So, um, but it is absolutely the perfect patio <laughs> drink when it's super hot, <laughs> and I, I quite enjoy that. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Kevin or Chloe. Any final questions you wanted to get in? Um, I think that covers it for me. Yeah. Uh, tell us uh, what you're using for your gearing on your bike. I'm just curious. I just want everybody to know that this would be standard issue for what he's riding on a day-to-day -day basis lately. Okay. Well, so first of all, tell us your size. You're obviously six. What? I, I'm six one and a half now. Yeah. Can we I've ask shrunk a little bit? Yeah. Can we ask your weight? I uh, I don't know it. Okay. Uh, I I would estimate somewhere 190? around 190. Oh, 190? 190, 195. Oh, you are a chunky little oh. donut, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I got I got a I got a bit of a spare tire. So. <laughs> but uh, so what what are you running for uh, your front rings? Well. Uh, because I was going over to uh, Nanaimo the other day, um, I had picked, picked up some bike bra uh, brakes over in Nanaimo and doing a long ride. I switched over the gearing on my uh, my commuting bike. Uh, so I am now running uh, 52.36 on the front. So oh, semi-compact. So you're spinning. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what's yeah. in the back? Uh, 11.28. So it's, oh, it's yeah, got okay. a nice, nice low gear for, uh, for those longer rides. All right. Well, I was only asking because I think about a month or so ago, you were running a 56 tooth in the front, weren't you? Oh yeah. On my, well, I do have, I do have multiple bikes. So uh, on my race bike that I use for crits, uh, uh, I do have uh, a 53 tooth chain ring on right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a bit of a gearhead, so I do fine tune my, my gearing quite precisely. Um, I always want those perfect ratios for, for whatever I'm trying to do. Um, I was running a 56 tooth up front. Mm -hmm. when I had Single a, speed. No, it was single ring up front. Right. But that was only when I had a cassette that had a 16 in the back. When right. I switched the cassette, so I lost my 16, and now I only have a 15, mm -hmm. dropped the front ring down by three teeth, so I still have exactly the same ratio. 
Plus the intimidation factor with the 56. Yeah. Massive. Massive. It looks huge. Yeah. Darth I mean, Vader rides a 56. I have a, uh, a 64 tooth chainring at home. That, uh, I'm just waiting for the right bike to put on. It doesn't fit on most of my mm-hmm. bikes because the it hits the chain stay. It's so big. I can't wait to see that. It's going to be cool. Can I be the driver? And you can uh, draft behind the via- the modified vehicle and... I don't know, Utah. He'll be going out to Bonneville. This is the Bonneville bike. That's right. That's it. That's it. Well, thank you so much, Galen. Yeah, no problem. That was a lot of fun. And here is the Fitspeak 16 upcoming event schedule starting off over at the Abbotsford Rec Center, something that many, many of us could benefit from as it pretty much has it all. It's the strength abs, stretch, and cardio class. It runs at the ARC on Tuesday and Thursday evenings from 7.15 until 8.15. To get more information, call 604-853-4221 or go to abbotsford.ca and then go to the Abbotsford Recreation Center drop-in fitness schedule. My goodness, can you believe it? The Fraser Valley Fondo is almost here. This year's event, as always, starts in Fort Langley and offers you a choice of 50, 100, or 160 kilometer routes. Yes, you can still enter, but do it quickly. It's valleygrandfondo.com. If you didn't catch it the first time, it is valleygrandfondo.com. If you didn't catch it the second time, just check our links page. Here's an event with a bit more advanced notice, the annual Campbell Valley Wine Run. It's a fundraiser for Pacific Riding for Developing Abilities. Be prepared to run or walk or a little bit of both as you go from winery to winery, sampling some of the best whites and reds the Fraser Valley has to offer. More details are at campbellvalleywinerun.org. That's campbellvalleywinerun.org. Didn't catch that? We've got it on our links page. Our final event on the event schedule challenges you to get your crunch on. It is the 8th annual Coquitlam Crunch Diversity Challenge. You can do your best on the steep grades of the Coquitlam Crunch. The Fit Fest runs on Saturday, September the 9th. There's three different events for folks of different fitness levels. Get more uh, details rather by going to coquitlamcrunch.com. And that's your upcoming event schedule. One of the things we do here at FitSpeak is introduce our listeners to new voices in the worlds of health, wellness, and fitness. Over the past month, we've introduced you to Shea Godet from swimming, Real Glowoski from running, and L. Bush from cycling. If you take those three sports of swimming, cycling, and running, you, of course, get triathlon. Our newest FitSpeak voice is a triathlete and a fairly new person to the sport. Her name is Chloe Null a full-time student at the University of the Fraser Valley and a member of the Abbotsford Triathlon Club. uh, Chloe, rather, is going to be telling us about her most recent race experiences at the Olympic distance, rather, that she did back on June the 25th down at Cultus Lake. Welcome to Fitspeak, Chloe. Hi. So um, I figured I would start out with a bit of background on why I got into the sport and why triathlon instead of, like, running on its own or swimming on its own or even just cycling on its own so uh I started back in January initially um I was never an athlete uh in high school um people would probably peg me as a stereotype of weird art kid honestly um I did like musical theater and I was always an artist more inclined to 
um, even like uh, English writing and things like that. So, so was, no swim club background for you? Uh, I did swim club, yes, but it was um, more my mom's idea, honestly. And I was never going to be a lifeguard um, either, except for my parents were like, you need a good job. And I'm very thankful for that now. So, um, and definitely thankful that they decided to keep me in swimming. Um, I, at the time I was never fast. So competition was never something I enjoyed. Um, but we got once a year in my swim club, we got a, um, opportunity to do something called a swimathon where you got to raise money for each length that you did. And I got someone sponsoring me at 12 years old thinking, Oh, she's not going to swim that much. So they sponsored me probably, I think, it was something even like $5 for a lap. And wow. Cool. And I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up swimming 97 lengths in an hour at How 12 old were years you? old. 12 years old. Yeah. And <laughs> so I raised the most amount of money for the club that year. And that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that was like my one like victory as far as like any competition goes when I was that age. In high school, I did a bit of cross country, like very small amount. Um Otherwise, like I said, no competition. Um, just something occasionally for health, uh, nothing else. And so then in the last year, I um, discovered that I have ADHD, which made school very difficult for me. And my doctor is someone who decided that medication or he wanted me to try things other than medication first, which I was like very on board with. I didn't want to go the route of medication. Not that I have anything against it, but I just wanted to see if I could kind of manage things on my own. So I decided I was going to get bored doing one sport. I wasn't going to stick <laughs> with it. And um, I figured it would be cool to try triathlon. Um, I'd seen people doing it. So I actually started Googling to see if there was a club around because I knew I wasn't going to stick with it on my own either. And Why not? Um, I just don't stick with things. <laughs> That's a symptom of ADHD. You, you get, you're very impulsive. Um, so I've jumped on the bandwagon with so many things and, and, um, so I knew I had to find someone to kind of like hold me accountable or a group of people. Um, so I found the Abby Tri Club on the internet and I emailed Mikey first of all, and I got an email back with probably about 20 exclamation marks in it. I'm not kidding. It was that many. I was like, Whoa. did that scare you? Not at all. I was like, <laughs> this doesn't seem serious at all. So maybe they're not going to like judge me for not knowing anything of what I'm supposed to be doing here. Um, so he invited me to the first um, social uh, in January, I think it was. And I showed up and everyone was super welcoming. Mikey came up and gave me a giant hug. And I never met this man before in my life. And he was like, I don't know, Mikey's super tall. And I'm like, five two <laughs> and this is like tall guy comes up and like it gives me a giant hug and I was like okay like, what's going on here <laughs> but it was it was exactly what I needed and um it was very much people from all spectrums of the sport like just starting and um not no like just starting and people who have done like hundreds probably not hundreds of triathlons but hundreds of triathlons yes um and so it was really cool to like see that and not have to worry about where I was at like just starting um so I signed up for the club and I didn't have a bike <laughs> 
and um, my grandma immediately messages me after finding out, and she's like, I have a bike for you, Chloe! <laughs> and so she gives me her old bike that she'd rode in India for years, and it's, like, this old, I don't even know what it is, and I was, like, stoked. So I, like, <laughs> I drive, I met my grandma halfway between Seattle and picked up this bike, and I, like, drove across the border, and the border guard didn't even care that I was oh, yeah. a bike cross because he looks in the back, and he's like, Oh, that bike. And, like, lets me cross the border. Score. So, yeah, I totally didn't have to pay anything on it. Um, So, yeah, then I kind of started out, like, just training, and I found that I had, like, a real passion for it, and I I was able to focus a lot more if I got a workout in in the day. And it kind of, like, would center my thoughts, and I, like, I always describe my brain as, like, going fast all the time. Like, if if you've ever seen, like like a hamster in a wheel just going that's what my brain I feel like is going um all the time and so I initially um before I started writing a blog to kind of describe how I would manage things before I started training and um if anyone's read it it kind of starts out as like this huge like chaos like I um was in school for one semester I've changed my mind probably four times in the course of two and a half years on what I want to do for school, um, which isn't entirely unusual, I guess. But for me, that's like quite a lot and a lot of money that, I mean, didn't have to be spent. (laughs) (laughs) So in my last semester of school, I ended up failing a class, which was pretty unfortunate because I'm paying for school all on my own. I mean, it would be unfortunate if anyone else was paying for it. But for me, having to work for it and then not pull through, um, that was huge for me. And What was the course? uh stats 104 (laughs) yeah so not entirely uncommon also for people to fail that one as Mm. well um but it was just like okay i need to take a step back and figure out like why school is hard um and how i can counteract that and so that was another reason like like i said before why i got into the sport so i took a semester off of school and started training instead um which was huge for me and um Another bit of personal background, which I won't entirely get into right now, um, I had a pretty significant um, experience happen to me um, two years ago, I guess now, um, that I didn't realize was like a negative experience, um, that I didn't realize was affecting me as much as it was. And so training also kind of helped me reclaim where I was at mentally as far as not, um, I guess not feelings down all the time based on the um negative experience that had happened so this cloud lingering yeah, not always exactly. presenting itself but yeah. always it was just there. always there always and i didn't there. like feel myself for mm-hmm. so long mm-hmm. and so yeah um of course there's been ups and downs in training like everyone has you have weeks where it's like what am i doing and you have weeks where it's like i'm on top of the world and i've probably had more i'm on top of the world moments because i'm so new and um, and because you're hanging around mikey ross and yes of course yeah (laughs) uh you're totally gonna get feelings of being on top of the world um so yeah then i guess like so that's a bit of background i could probably talk forever about myself um so i should probably get into my race reports um, I was which gonna, one do you want to talk about first? Kind of compare the two. Okay. Um, now, probably, which two races are we talking about? So I did e- the Oliver Olympic distance. Uh, that was May. Oh, what day was in May? I think early, May early 5th. June, I think. Was it early yeah. June? Oh, yeah, it, was. it was. Like it, told, third it was June third. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, June 3rd. Yeah, June third, and then I did the Cultus Lake one on June twenty fifth. Yeah, like so three at weeks the end later. End of the month. Yeah, yeah. crazy. Um, Same person. Three weeks later. Exactly. So um, Oliver, I. D- 
Um, everyone says their first race is kind of like a gong show, and I'd done a sprint distance, so I kind of knew what to expect as far as transition goes. But um, jumping up to the Olympic distance um, probably wasn't the wisest decision, but I had to do it because, like I said before, the, these I have are the an stories we love nature. to hear. <laughs> so I had to just decide. Um, I decided I was just going to do it. Honestly, I was registered for the sprint distance up until a week before, and I messaged the dynamic race directors, and I was like, "Can I change this?" And they're like, "Yeah, go for it." So, and then I kind of, kind of like clicked as to what I just done, and I was like, "I haven't even ridden." 40 kilometers on my bike ever in my life. And, so why did you make that decision to go up to the <laughs> um, Olympic then? I just wanted to see, honestly, I felt like the sprint distance when I did it. Um, I'm not a sprinter. Um, like I said before with swim club, I've always been someone who likes to push to see how far I can go. So I was like, well, the sprint distance actually wasn't as challenging as I thought. I'm going to see mm-hmm. if I can do the Olympic. Um, so then I, that's why I switched it. Uh, so yeah, then the week leading up to Oliver was not well planned out either. Um, so you're going to kind of get like a feel for my impulsive nature here. I I had decided to move out of my parents' house a month before and I, the date of moving out was the day before the race. Excellent. And so, uh, or no, two days, I guess. So I moved all my stuff into this basement suite and I was like, I had gotten a different bed. So like I had the worst sleep of my life. (laughs) I hadn't been training the week because I was, like, packing all my stuff between working. And um, the next day, I worked a four-hour shift teaching in the pool. And then right after my shift, I went home and packed. I hadn't even packed yet. So this <laughs> is on a my... Friday night? This, Yeah, yeah. And so I... No, no, no. This is the day... Oh, yeah. Was it Friday? Because the race was on Saturday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the Friday. Um, so the um, my boyfriend said he was going to come with me, which was super awesome for him to be there. I think uh, he probably made it so that I didn't completely, like, forget everything on the way out there. So he even said, like, two days before, he's like, Chloe, like, why do you have to move out? Can't you change your moving out day? I was like, no, it's all happening this this weekend. So, uh, he helped me load up all my stuff after I frantically packed it after my shift and we got caught in traffic all the way to Oliver. So we, I couldn't pick up my race package the night before, which stressed me out a bit, but, um, I'm pretty easygoing in that way when it comes to racing. Like I get to the race and right before it, I realize that there's nothing else I can do to get better in that moment. So I just kind of like completely chill out. And so you would expect that with the way my brain is, I would just be like, amped up like going but i'm not at all i'm just like the hamster on the wheel i'm just is like rolling. well i'm here and i'm where i'm at so uh yeah so prep for Col- or oliver was definitely not <laughs> what it should have been but and i knew that too um cultus however was way better um i'd been living in my new place for a couple weeks now i had had a good sleep i ate um the right meal before that was another thing about oliver is the night before when we got to oliver i forgot that i had to eat a specific meal so that i didn't like cramp up or get nauseous and the only thing what did you wind up the only thing that was open in like this tiny town that like was remotely something because i'm also gluten-free too so i can't like just go eat pasta anywhere right (laughs) was a chinese food place (laughs) so i decided that i was like okay they have rice and like veggies so i'll order like rice and veggies and it was still like covered in grease worst idea ever but it it was it was a it ended up I don't know it was it wasn't the best so again Oliver was just like getting to the race and getting it done essentially cultist so cultist I had um 
a meal at uh, Milan and Jake's place. Oh, um, part of members of members the, of the ATC ATC club. Um, and I had gluten free noodles, and Milan had made um, Mikey's um, Alfredo sauce, cauliflower Alfredo sauce, and it was fantastic and like light enough. It, there was like, I guess there's no cream in it to make it like as heavy as natural or other Alfredo sauce that you would expect. So definitely good pre grace meal as far as in contrast with Chinese food. Better than the so, Chinese food. <laughs> um, yeah, so prep was way better. Um, and I just felt more relaxed for cultists too because it, was, it wasn't it was as far of a drive. It was like 45 minutes from my house. Um, yeah, and with cultists, um, the day before it was really hot. So I was hydrating a lot with water. And I was also getting electrolytes from Gatorade um, because that's all I knew to use and it ended up being fine. So I've heard people say bad things about Gatorade. But... Well, if it works for you, it works for you. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, so yeah, I guess I'll jump ahead to like the day of the race. Now yeah, tell I'm us about that race day experience. Rambled on about prep and stuff. Um, so I was, I figured I would kind of section this into like the three different sports individually. So the swim for Oliver um, went pretty well, except for I overestimated my swimming abilities because <laughs> when I train with the club I'm a pretty fast swimmer in the pool because I've been swimming my entire life and I've been swimming in a pool my entire life so I was prepared to be at the front of the pack <laughs> um I got in the water and I've done one open water swim before that and I was totally confident being in the water nothing about that intimidated me and I started swimming um back and forth in like not a straight line at all and everyone behind me ran me over and I like I didn't get freaked out about it or anything I just kind of laughed at myself honestly I like I swallowed a bunch of water and I was like well probably won't do that again (laughs) yeah a lot of people have that say that that is the most stressful part of any triathlon is the first 300 meters when they've got people swimming and punching and goggles can be ripped off I got into this weird like headspace where I was like I was like gonna fight everyone (laughs) in the water I was like not intimidated by it at all it kind of amped me up more probably good attitude Um, I mean otherwise you play the victim and you sink yeah yeah I totally wasn't gonna allow myself to get into that mindset I was like I was like I'm gonna race and then cultists I held back in the pack a little bit more um kind of judged where I was gonna go um but again I found that I wasn't able to sight um because I'm so used to swimming in a pool and I don't have to look up ever so something definitely to take note for myself was that I need to like sight more um than like looking up and watching where I'm going because rather than swimming over over other swimmers, which I'm sure they appreciated a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so my swim in both races was definitely slower than a pool swim for me. Um, I average in a pool about 140s for 100 meters, which is reasonably fast, I would say, um, for a triathlon. Like, that's a pretty good... Yeah, you'd come out of the water if you can swim a 140. That's like a, about a 27 minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, um, but I was upper pack. Um, in Oliver. I'm pretty sure I came out at 33 minutes, and then Caldas I came out 32, so it was like one minute faster or something like that. Yeah, so still like I'd say like I was pretty proud of it, but I wasn't like at the first like pack. Usually there's like two groups that come out of the water. There's like the fast ones, and then like the medium ones, and then like. I don't know. This is just something I've observed on my own. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I'll jump into. I'll mention transition for 
Oliver went very smoothly, but coming out of the water in Cultus, my wetsuit got stuck, which is a bit of a comical moment for me because I was immediately, like, so enraged. And I was, like, coming out of the water, and I'm, like, cussing and, like, trying to get my wetsuit off, and there's, like, children on the beach. I was going to ask, how did you channel that rage? (laughs) So I, like, came out of the water. I'm, like, having to, like, take a step back and, uh realize, okay, it's probably going to take me a lot longer in transition to get this wetsuit off without wrecking it because I spent, like, money on this that I didn't have. <laughs> and uh, I'd come out of the water, and turns out my boyfriend had decided to volunteer for uh, wetsuit stripping. He just had done it, and I walked out of the water, and he just looks at me and bursts out laughing. And he's like, just turn around, and I'll take the wetsuit off. And I was like, he's like, just calm down. <laughs> so I actually ended up laughing at myself, and I think that helped a lot. So that was really sweet of him. Um, so yeah, as just a bit of a comical moment for transition there. Um, so the wetsuit's off, you're yeah. running toward your bike. Yeah, got everything on very smoothly. Um, something about, um, the bike transition, or swim to bike, that takes me, a bit longer, I would say, than the average person, is I put on, like, these cycling gloves, which most people probably don't wear. Um, but they're, they kind of hold a bit of, uh significance for me because oh. my grandma wore them in um when she was riding her bike a ton in india so so these are the same gloves yeah okay. they are and she gave me a bunch of stuff when she gave me her bike and i felt like it was just important to kind of keep something with me that because she kind of really got me started with the whole cycling aspect so you know what i'll sacrifice a few seconds put on these gloves and you know i don't really care that much so um biking um for oliver was the worst part of the race for me. I hadn't trained any hills. Um, and like I said, I hadn't ridden 40 kilometers on my bike before. And I'd been experiencing hip pain and like visiting the chiropractor for it. And my chiropractor basically told me, uh, you have no ab strength and you need to work on that. (laughs) And so I had no time right before my race to start like building my core. Um, so I was, Almost Couldn't like, get a few crunches in while you were moving the bed or something? Oh, you know, I should have, but <laughs> I made excuses for myself, which, um, you know, I think we all tend to do, but I, maybe I do it more than other people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I um, got on the bike, and 10K in, my my hips were hurting, and I looked down and realized I'd forgotten all my fuel for the bike, except for my water, and I was like crap like oh no here we go um so i had it in my head i was like well i'm probably gonna end up bonking in this cycling portion i just have to get through it and my legs were hurting and i was just like starting to sink into like this awful mindset i was like what am i doing here i'm not a triathlete it was all that self-doubt crap gets oh yeah yeah totally and everyone's riding by me Mm. and i'm like no (laughs) um yeah, and I, I remember, like, I, I ended up, like, coasting down the hills. I wasn't, like, spinning my legs anymore, and I was coasting a lot more than I should have been, and, like, I was just at this point where, like, I had to just get through the cycling portion because otherwise I wasn't going to finish the race. And um, I just had to, like, find this space in my head where I was like, I need to get out of this negative mindset or I'm not going to finish the race, and that would be terrible. <laughs> because then... um then I wouldn't, I would have it in my head that I couldn't do it, and it would be a lot harder for me to get back and do it the next time, so I was like, I have to finish this, I have to start thinking better, even if I'm not feeling it, and I was able to, like, I was able to do that, which I was like, how? I ended up, like, kind of drawing on, like, 
trying to find a mantra, um, because some people say that that helps, and part of it, um, my mom, um, she's a runner, and she, um, said, she was the one who told me that, like, if you don't finish the race, like, it's gonna be a bad, like, bad, um, thing for you, because, like, like I said before, you're not gonna, it's gonna be a lot harder for you to get on the bike again and do it again. So that was part of it. I was, like, listening to my mom in my head. I was like, I better not quit. (laughs) Um, so, yeah, and, um, I decided that I was going to enjoy the scenery a bit more, too. I was like, okay, I got to get out of this competitive mode because clearly I'm not, like, competing necessarily anymore. Um, yeah, at that point. At that point, yeah. So it was actually a really beautiful ride, too. We rode by a bunch of wineries and stuff. So um, coming into the end of the that bike portion, uh, I was I was pretty thankful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as far as cultists goes, I was there to to compete. Um, when I got on that bike, I'd been psyching myself up the whole week to, to ride my bike. Like I was like wanting to win, um, which I knew obviously I wasn't going to in my first year and everything win a triathlon, (laughs) but I had in my head that I wanted to pass people, not get passed by people. Yeah. Change Um, it from participant to competitor. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I got on the bike and in my head, I got this like really aggressive mantra and a lot of people have said to me like yo you're not an aggressive person but I had this mantra in my head and all I kept saying was like I want blood and I was like oh my goodness like where is this coming from (laughs) um and I just like buckled down and my family had actually come to the cultist race and they did not expect me to do as well in the cycling portion um I guess and their plan was to come watch the swim and go home and come back and they started like driving and they didn't realize how far I'd actually gone so that was like a huge like emotional boost for them to be like wait like you're already here and i was averaging 30k an hour which is that's fast for me that's fast um period (laughs) so i was like feeling on top of it and i ended up like dropping my water bottle halfway through (laughs) through the course and i just looked down and i was like of course i would drop my water bottle (laughs) um but I, I remembered fuel that time as well so i i managed to like keep my energy going for that um so as far as the bike goes in cultists, like, so far, in contrast for both of these, um, you can tell that cultists is, like, significantly more prepared for, um, I was in a better headspace, um, so many different things. Um, yeah, and the bike portion at cultists, there were only two hills, and I had been training hills, so it made it better. Um, actually, a bit of, um, help at the end. We had, like, one final climb um over hill and then we we're gonna like go down a hill to the lake um for transition again um christina from uh atc also she rode up behind me like kind of towards the end of the race and she's like uh if you don't spin your legs out going up this hill you're gonna you're gonna feel them when you're going for the run and she's like you need to like gear down and keep going um spinning more than like pushing i guess like i don't know technical terms so i think a cyclist called grinding yeah 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 that's what Mm -hmm. she was saying exactly so um yeah so that definitely helped a lot um and as someone who's not a cyclist it's just like a little bit of advice at the end like goes a huge huge way so yeah transition for both um bike to run bike to run and oliver was actually hysterical um it it was a huge pickup for me because i came in and I think Alan 
and my Kiba from ATC were just screaming at me in transition. I came in, and I was like, everything hurts, and Alan's like, welcome to triathlon, <laughs> and Mikey's like, the get going, and I don't know if someone had walked by my transition um, and noticed that both my shoes were still tied up, but I remembered on the bike that I hadn't untied my, sh- my running shoes, and I was like, well... Nothing I can do about it now. And I got there, and they were both untied, ready to go. So someone must have walked by and seen that. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then the bike to run in Cultus went very smoothly as well. And I used um, Alan's bit of advice to pick up my race belt as I was heading out and clip it on as I was leaving. And just little things like that, honestly. That was great. Um, How was your mental state during that run? You had a tough... But, During uh, the run for Oliver? No, um, I'm talking about Cultus Lake because Cultus you Lake, had yeah. this wonderful 30-kilometer aggressive yeah. cycle at Cultus Lake. And then it's a it's a different experience for you because you're not, you know, the, the race course isn't doing it to you. You're doing it to the race course mm-hmm. and you're also doing it to your competitors. Mm-hmm. So as you're making that transition to your first big, yeah. aggressive, yeah. potentially fun <laughs> run, what's going through your head? Um, I was, like, ready for it. Honestly, I was, like, feeling on top of the world. I was, like, I needed this race. And the only thing that kind of I was worried about for Cultus was the heat. Uh, it was hot that day. Um, I think we are we were pushing, like, 28 uh, degrees Celsius. I yeah, this was the day was... after Crystal's uh, positive spin. Mm-hmm. Another hot day in the Fraser Valley. Yeah, it was, it was hot and humid. Um... So, yeah, that was the only thing that I was, like, kind of concerned about because back in Oliver, um, probably partly because I hadn't, like, mostly because I hadn't eaten the right food before and I didn't have enough fuel on the bike, I got super nauseous and I ended up having to walk and I was not excited about that. (laughs) Um, I can run 10K almost no problem now um, based on the training that I've done. And I had to walk and there was like grandmas passing me. And this one grandma came up behind me, like this sweet lady. And she's like, are you okay, dear? And I'm like, oh my goodness, I must look so rough right now. (laughs) But she was a sweetheart and she ended up actually like kind of helping me pace up a hill. I paced with a grandma up the hill. Like that's, that's the the rough bit I was going through. And you know what? Uh, Like huge, like kudos to her. Like awesome. Like she, I think I would estimate her age being at least like, 68 like 70 she she was like awesome i was like wow if she can do this i can do that <laughs> i'm like 19 years old like trying to climb this hill right <laughs> yeah. now like trying not to throw up the great equalizer <laughs> of triathlon yeah, yeah yeah totally um so then fast forward to cultus cultus was a lot more flat too um that was the thing about oliver too is there were a lot more hills um and then so cultus it was it was mostly flat and it was an out and back for both of them so it was like huge pick me up in oliver even though i was like having nausea um for like to pass so many people from atc to just like kind of like pick you up and be like you can do this uh i think that like for me community is huge um at a race um because if you can be in the worst mental state and someone can ride by you and be like you're doing good that you know and it's like I am doing good. <laughs> um, so yeah, back uh, cultus the run. I didn't get nauseous. I ended up with a cramp, and um, I actually recently talked to Zach um, Newfeld, and he was saying that that could be my cardio. Um, which I felt like my cardio was pretty good because I've been doing track once a week um, and like really pushing it, but maybe not enough. Um, so something to. I got a cramp in my um, ribs, so that's due to cardio, not my legs. I've never had a cramp in my legs, thank goodness. Um, Yeah, so I didn't end up having to walk in cultus, 
so that was awesome. And for cultists, I was, as far as times go, I was shooting for, whoa, um, sub two hours for cultists for the whole race, and I wanted, um, less than an hour for the run, and I think for the run, I ended up with, like, 58 minutes, um, in cultists, and then the run in Oliver, it was, like, an hour and two minutes so oh, quite a bit faster yeah um, so overall, and a much better bike for uh no i actually ended up i rode like my tri bike that uh alan found for me on craigslist in both races okay. yeah um <laughs> overall um this was a huge like um i guess for the victory of cultus i finished the race and like i said i wanted a sub two hour and I looked at my time, and I had a 15-minute PR uh-huh. from Oliver, and I was like, yes, like, <laughs> this is what I needed. Like, 15 minutes, that's huge. Yeah. So um, I took most of that off in the bike, and I guess, like, four minutes in the run. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, um, overall, it was, like, you could see the differences between them, and Oliver... I kind of had to reassess, and I've written about both of these races on the blog that I'd started. So. Want to give us your blog address? Oh, yeah. Um, if you can't pull it up, <laughs> tell it to us after, off microphone, and we will post it on our Yeah, Yeah, that would probably be a lot better, I think. Done. Yeah, yeah I won't have it exact. <laughs> if I say it now, you'll find some weird website or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Cultus was great. Um, so, yeah, I guess, like, that's almost... It so two Olympic go. distances in yeah. the space of three weeks. Mm-hmm. One in Oliver not going so well, yeah. and the other one maybe a race of validation in Cultus Lake. Yeah. Both had their challenges. Yeah. Which race did you learn more from? Um, I think. And what was it? I ha- I had a lot to draw from Oliver, um, but there was a small victory for Oliver. Going back to what I'd said about like. Um, what had happened in my past, um, it was actually almost exactly two years after, um, what had happened, like, I won't go into detail, but I'd been abused by, um, someone I was dating, uh, two years earlier, and it was, like, the fact that it was exactly, like, two years after, and it was, like, an action of kind of, like, reclaiming my space, and, um, that was the victory for Oliver, it wasn't the race itself, it was, um, what I was capable of doing, with my body after that so that was definitely more how it went for me um and cultus uh the victory was the training that I'd put in and the physical aspect of improving myself based on the hard work I'd done if that kind of makes sense and like taking my mistakes from Oliver and like really making a conscious effort to not make those mistakes again well thank you so much for the race report before we wrap things up i'm looking at kevin watt he looks like he's got mm, perhaps one or two questions for you two questions Mm -hmm. did you remember to thank the volunteers at both the events because this is pretty crucial of course yeah i always ride by volunteers and like say thank you um i actually ended up asking one of the volunteers at cultus if they could like maybe find my water bottles I rode past them and they just kind of laughed and they're like that's probably unlikely I was like okay (laughs) but yeah yeah volunteers are a huge aspect of triathlon because you have three sports and a lot of distance um for each race I guess so yeah definitely unfortunately you didn't get any flats so unfortunately right yeah (laughs) 
Plots Fortunately, oh, I thought you said no, unfortunately. No, no, no. I thought no, you were no. joking fortunately, here. Fortunately, you didn't. Totally, yeah. So I'm like, honestly, probably not prepared to have a flat at this point. So that was really good. If I got a flat, I probably would have ended up walking quite a lot. But one, one yeah. great thing about triathlon is there's a fourth discipline, uh, and that's your nutrition. Yeah, definitely. And fortunately, uh, F2C Nutrition is FitSpeak sponsored. On your next triathlon, you can use the FitSpeak 15 discount code coupon and pick yourself up some Perfect. F2C Perfect. I actually nutrition. used a bit of F2C on my racing cultists while I was running. So. They're really good. They're yeah. Excellent. yeah. They're excellent. And in fact, they're at both events that weekend. They were at Joe Dixon's event and they are mm-hmm. also sponsoring at the Positive Spin. And I think Galen was leaning on that both of those products yeah it uh it definitely helped it was a really hot day and it was uh quite amazing to be able to get through like over 200 kilometers in that amount of heat without any cramping issues and be able to maintain the the intensity level that we were able to uh, to maintain throughout so yeah yeah shout out to, uh, to f2c that's for sure One of the cool things about being involved in endurance sports and having your own podcast is that quite often you get a chance to meet many of your heroes or folks who have done heroic things. Over the past few months, you've been introduced to many of them from the worlds of long-distance biking, swimming, and running. One of the pioneers and historians of the sport of triathlon is Bob Babbitt. Bob is one of the original people who did the Ironman race when it was just some crazy endurance contest in Hawaii back in the early 1980s. But being one of the original and crazy Ironman isn't the only reason Bob Babbitt is both in the Ironman and American Triathlon Halls of Fame. He's also one of the people behind the highly successful Competitor Magazine and Rock and Roll Marathon series. He's also responsible for raising over $80 million for charity as the founder of the Challenged Athletes Foundation. In our final installment of Bob's Bits, we take a look at the future of triathlon, and Bob offers you some advice on how to stay young forever. What would the 1980 Bob Babbitt say to the 2017 Bob Babbitt after all these years of being a competitor, a participant, an organizer? Um... What's been in it for you? Oh gosh, it's it's my it's my life. I, mean, I think the 1980 guy would go. You were smart to stay the course, right? There was times where you know there was too many races and numbers were dwindling, and rather than having 900 people in one triathlon, you'd have 300 in three triathlons in Southern California, and you know you had to wait for the ebb and flow of of, you know, of events to go away. And you, the key for me is when I look back and where I am now is. Everything happened from passion, right? When we started the Challenge Athletes Foundation, it was to help Jim McLaren. We didn't know that eventually we were going to you know, help 13,000 people out and send grants all over the world and get triathlon into the Paralympics. Uh-huh. Everything just happened sort of organically. And my, my message is always when you work from passion, when you work from your heart, usually dollars will follow. Uh-huh. But when you, when you are always chasing dollars... A lot of times that doesn't work. I remember at one point in particular during uh, at Competitor, the running business was sort of falling off and walking had become very popular, you know, like mall walking. Mm-hmm. 
and the question was asked at the, 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 in our meetings, should we be focusing some of these walkers, and just not race walking, but walkers, just yep. people who are going out and walking mm -hmm. on, on the weekends at the malls. And I was like, that's not who we are. Yeah. You know, we're running, triathlon, cycling, mountain biking, it's endurance. You gotta stay the course, you gotta understand there is gonna be ebb and flow, but if you believe in what you're doing, and you have passion, and you don't just sit on the sideline bitching about it, yeah. you get out there and, you know, and that's one of the reasons you, that, that club that you saw last night, mm -hmm. that doesn't just happen. No. Right. That's, you know, hey, Dean, Dean, I, I find out that Dean's coming to do a, a presentation in, in La Jolla for, on Wednesday night. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, Dean, can I convince you to stay yeah. an extra day? Yeah. Right? Then reaching out to Warwick's and saying, guys, can you sell books? At, a, at our meeting, mm -hmm. and then you know, Gino will probably have a bigger crowd than normal. Can you handle over 200 folks here yes. tonight? And so it's it's everybody buying in and understanding the bigger picture that you know we want people to leave last night being enthused yes. about being involved with the sport mm -hmm. and feeling just like that 1985 Batman at yeah. the end of the Iron Man, mm -hmm. feeling like. I'm in the right place. Yeah. This is the right sport. These are the right people. These are good people who, you know, who are have jobs and are high, you know, are high-end producers in their work and their family. And triathlon and cycling and swimming and running enhances their quality of life. That, that to me is what it's all about. That, like I mentioned earlier, our sport is the fountain of youth. And as I used to tell people who are, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old. When you go to these events, we're not going to events, we're going to parties. Yeah. We go to parties every weekend. <laughs> and when you're 60 years old and you're hanging out with 30-year-olds, yeah. that keeps you young. Yeah. And that's what our sports do is they keep you young. So for all your listeners out yes. there, you want to stay young, <laughs> keep racing, keep training. Thank you so much, Bob. A pleasure. Anytime. Just before we wrap up our podcast, dropping by our FitSpeak studios is co-host Zach Newfeld. Today, Zach is giving us another edition of Between the Ears, a look at the mental and spiritual aspects of training and racing. Zach, what do you have for us this time? On this segment, I'm talking about mindfulness. Mindfulness has gained widespread popularity in recent years due to its compatibility with re recent scientific research and applicability to our lives in many ways. Here I apply it to my experience at the Cultus Lake Spring Triathlon just a few weeks ago. I hope mindfulness is as fascinating to you as it is to me and that you can take something empowering from this segment and apply it to your life. So what's mindfulness? According to the American Psychological Association, the practice of mindfulness has moved from a largely obscure Buddhist concept founded about 2,600 years ago to the mainstream psychotherapy idea we have today. Among its benefits are self-control, objectivity, tolerance of our emotions, enhanced flexibility in thinking, improved concentration and mental clarity, emotional intelligence, and the ability to relate to others and oneself with kindness, acceptance, and compassion. Many benefits. The term mindfulness has been used to refer to a psychological state of awareness, the practice that promotes this awareness, and a mode of processing information and a character trait. Now, I'll be speaking of mindfulness as a moment-to-moment -moment awareness of one's experience without judgment. So that's your definition. Know that you don't have to be a meditator or necessarily be willing to open up your mind to any abstract religious or anti-religious concepts or entities out there to practice mindfulness. The core of mindfulness is training our attention and awareness 
in order to bring mental processes under greater voluntary control to do better. There are several positive effects of mindfulness, including reduced rumination, which is going over thoughts over and over again, stress reduction, boosted working memory, which is the ability to keep information close to, close to mind, minimizing emotional reactivity, uh, reacting to emotions, enhancing cognitive flexibility, and more. It's probably intuitively obvious now how the benefits of mindfulness are applicable to sports. I'll give a more relatable example of uh, the Cultus Lake Spring Triathlon. I did an Olympic or standard distance triathlon, which went very well, I might add. When I woke up, I did a day pre-review, then some breathing exercise, some grounding to get in touch with my senses, mindfully organized my gear or mindfully minded my gear, uh, I imagine the race already happening at that moment and having happened already, keeping the end in mind. The key for me is to follow the thoughts instead of pushing them. I asked myself, is there anything else I need? And surprisingly, my mind answered. <laughs> if you're stressed, it may not be that simple. Um, at transition, once I got there, I set up not getting too distracted. A little distraction is an ally. I went back to my breathing again and then tried to keep to myself. For me, too much stimulation can undo my how product, productive I am and my concentration. Setting up one sport at a time, I tried to stay present with, with the thoughts and review the future transitions, staying in the present. Doing this for both transitions, so that's the swim to bike and then the bike to run. That's a pre-review. What would I need? Where? When? What would it be like? At the pre-race meeting, I got very excited. Back to my breathing yet again. Lots of breathing, calming down. I started feeling the water with my hands, engaging the senses and leaving my mind behind. I spent some time visualizing the swim transition. Again, biting off chewable pieces, just little events to come, and then coming back to the water between my fingers. The key is not getting lost in my thoughts, and that really helped. So the swim start. Be the swim, be the water, I thought. Let the body do its thing. I like to use that tiny area of limited focus I have to shine my awareness on important parts of the race while trusting that my habits that I've set ahead of time and my mind will show up to step up and do the rest. This is where it applies. The swimming. Don't think. Just do. Uh, I didn't. I can't. No, I can't do everything. And swimming is too complicated anyway. So I just checked in one detail at a time, parts of my stroke, as they came. Again, staying loose, uh, paying attention to the water, and if you can, keep the buoy in mind. And this is where the working memory comes in. On the bike, I was mindful of each pedal stroke, gearing up and down as though uh, as the thought to do it came to me, which it reliably did, without effort, naturally. So the key part is to trust that it will. I tuned into the parts of the pedal stroke uh, and mentally engaged different parts of it to stay distracted with my senses and out of negative thinking, which comes up here on the run. In the second transition, I was so thankful to forget the stupid bike. A different now, staying present not to forget anything I, I, as I headed out. The bike was done, gone. On the run, thoughts can be the enemy as I found, uh, have found. Beware the black hole. 
I've been there before, I thought, but I don't want to be in my body. What can you do? Bite off what you can chew. Turn into one power image and let everything else fall out of sight. Mental tunnel vision here is a godsend. Focus. Finally, at the finish, a lady asked me while I was eating. Uh, uh, she thanked me for cheering her on when we crossed paths on the run. She said it really helped boost her morale and distract her a bit. And I said that to me, the thoughts only exist while we think of them. If we are not thinking them, then they don't exist. I chose my reality on that race and selected what I focused on. That was all that was real to me at that moment. The moral is don't steer your thoughts to anything you don't want in awareness. Well, what if it hurts and it's negative? Is it possible to find pleasure in the feeling of oxygen, how it smells and tastes, the feeling of hyperventilating, that cold sweat, the chills and the lightness at the end of the race, that final push? If you can tune into your breathing and become the sensation of breathing, nothing else exists at that moment. Thanks again for tuning into this segment of Between the Ears. I wish you all the best in your training and racing. Perhaps mindfulness can help you elevate your game. There will be links that reference material in this Between the Ears segment on the FitSpeak webpage for your continued interest and possible interest in fact-checking me. <laughs> Checking the source material is always encouraging. Until next time, again, I'm Zach. Keep mindful, or rather, mind clear, and train well. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's wellness, fitness, and endurance sports podcast. We're brought to you by Wentings, and the Wentings word of the week is attack. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport, where you can try for 50. That's a one-on-one 30-minute consultation, a personalized four-week triathlon training program, and a weekly email consultation for just $50. That's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Use the link on the FitSpeak homepage to contact us. This week, I'd like to thank my co-host, Kevin Watt, our man behind the ears, Zach Newfeld, our newest member of the FitSpeak family, Chloe Null, Bob Babbitt from Babbittville.com, from Phoenix Velo, our guest on this week's program, Galen Keller, and of course, you for listening. I'm Kevin Hines. Bye for now. <laughs>